That's some sensational catch. Absolutely brilliant from Hooper. Was hit back firmly by Maiello. Hammered down the ground. It could fly all the way for a maximum. It's going to soar into the sky. That's the six they needed. That's 50 for Forbrush. What a knock that is from him. Outstanding striking. And that six brings Guernsey back into the game. Could be a catch. What a catch. One-handed grab. And that's Josh Butler, the captain. Oh, my days. We have been treated to some catches in this tournament. Welcome to Under the Covers, Guernsey Cricket's very own podcast. I'm Ben Furbrush, Guernsey Cricket Development Manager. On this podcast, we will be chatting to players old and new, coaches, administrators and other cricketing keen beans along the way. On today's episode, we welcome on ex-South African international, limited over specialist and current Hobart Hurricane, Colin Ingram. So welcome to the Guernsey Cricket Podcast, Colin Ingram. Thank you for coming along. How's it going? Yeah, great to be on. Nice to be chatting cricket. Are you going to use the video as well, or is it, or is it just audio? No, it's just, it's just audio. Okay. Oh, that's helpful, because I haven't really got a great setup going yet, as I can see. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we haven't quite broken into the YouTube. The YouTube uh, okay. stuff, so. Well, there's always space to grow, eh? <laughs> yeah, good stuff. So if we can sort of start right back where you started, as a junior cricketer, uh, was it just cricket you focused on? Were you sort of multi-sport? Um, I think cricket was a, it was definitely a first love from, you know, start off playing in the back garden and from real early on, um, you know, I'd, I was quite a shy kid and when I had a cricket bat in hand uh, and hit it well, it seemed to give me quite a lot of confidence. So, um, yeah, right from the start, um, I was fortunate that I was exposed to many other sports. Um, you know, the school system in South Africa sort of uh, exposes to you as many sports sports as you would like sort of thing and that was great you know so you know grew up playing hockey uh rugby uh squash tennis pretty much anything I could uh, I could get my hands on we did some athletics at certain times of the year and then also uh fortunate that my school had outdoor education which meant uh you know canoeing and hiking and rock climbing and that sort of thing so I was exposed to a lot but cricket was uh was always my main passion from very young yeah, and then do you feel those other sports sort of aided cricket as well? You know, the hand-eye coordination of, of hockey and squash, like you mentioned? Oh, most definitely. I mean, uh, I mean, even the rugby in the winter was a, uh, you know, a very, a very sort of big team effort, um, which I really enjoyed. And obviously the physical side, which was, you know, to be nice and strong. Um, and then the hand-eye and, and sort of other team aspects of, of hockey and squash and that sort of thing was 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 great. But I think, you know, more than that, I think it's a great time in your life as a kid to, you know, be exposed to as much as possible and enjoy what's out there. Um, you know, I often chat to uh, you know, parents of young kids and, and they want their kids to specialise at a really young age. But I think there's, there's massive benefit in, um, you know, being exposed to other sports and enjoying other sports for what they are because, uh, you know, we all end our career at some stage and, you know, to maybe join a hockey club uh, or play some rugby or whatever, squash league on the week in the, on the weekend, you know, that's a great part of your life. So I always encourage parents to you know let their kids you know get out there and experience as much as they can, um, while still maybe focusing on cricket on the side. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. something that we're definitely passionate about in Guernsey as well is obviously letting them have an option of multi sports to you know the the cross skills between sports is is huge. Um, uh, one other thing, so you studied at university alongside cricket. Uh, was this also sort of like a backup if cricket didn't work out, or was it just something you were interested in? Oh, most definitely. Um, I uh, yeah, I was left out of the SA under nineteen side, and um, I think that was quite a big wake up call. Um, but within saying that, my plan was always to go study because uh, I suppose at that stage I I needed a backup. I didn't know how good I could or, or would be. Um, and, and I was thinking, you know, we're not, even as, as cricket in, in South Africa at that stage, I was thinking a 10-year career is a, is a good first-class career. I mean, most, most cricket was based around playing test cricket or first-class cricket. So, um, you know, my, my background is uh, sort, of, sort of from a farming community and growing up on a farm. So, you know, I went out to go and study uh, BSc Agriculture. Um, unfortunately, after many years of, of studying... Uh, while being signed up to play cricket, I sort of took it on part-time um, after doing full year, uh, sort of full-time for two years, uh, then got signed up. And, and I never actually finished because uh, right. international cricket came along and it was quite difficult. But definitely, uh, I, you know, I think for young players these days, to have some sort of other focus and skills, especially early on in your career, is, uh, is a real good thing for you. Yeah, and then with that, uh, you mentioned there international cricket. So you played both ODIs and T20s. Um, 
how did you feel when you played in those sorts of games? Was it added pressure? Uh, you scored 100 on your ODI debut, so that probably didn't show that. <laughs> oh, it's a big step up, I think. Um, you know, it's still a white or red ball coming at you. So, that, you know, and that side of things. But there's a lot more uh, media focus and, you know, you're under scrutiny. Whereas when you're playing on a Wednesday evening, uh, you know, at your local club or, or under lights, you know, um, for your franchise or, or your county, you know, there's not as big a sort of focus on you, whereas you definitely feel that spotlight when you get to international cricket. And, you know, it's something that at stages, uh, when, when you're doing well, you, you love it. And it's, uh, you know, it's, there's big hype to it and extra exposure. And, you know, when Malinga's cleaning you up uh, a couple couple balls in a row in a series, um, you know, that pressure can really come down on you. So it's something that you learn to deal with, I think, at that level. And, and the good players really manage it well. Yeah, and then you obviously started your career in, in South Africa and have moved around a little bit since. Um, what do you think the positives and the negatives are of, of the quota system in, in South Africa? Yeah, it's a tricky one because sort of growing up, uh, um, you know, I could really understand uh, having having a system where we wanted to include everyone, um, having a system where, you know, they, they wanted to expose us to as many different races, cultures, and make everyone feel welcome within cricket. And I... You know, I sort of really valued that growing up because I thought, you know, I was sort of part of that uh, sort of the dream for South Africa, which was, the, you know, in my teenage years being the rainbow nation and changing, you know, putting the wrongs of the past right. Um, and I think a lot of us really bought into that. Um, you know, now it's kind of sort of the, the scales have tipped and I, I feel it's more wealth distribution program at the moment, which uh, without being too politically correct uh, or incorrect, it's quite tough for me to deal with because I see the cricket system now starting to struggle. Um, and like you say, I'm, I'm obviously not playing in it. So I'm, I'm, I'm sort of seeing it from an outsider's perspective, but you know, I, I don't see it as a massive benefit to, to, to anyone right now in that we're exposing players that uh, maybe shouldn't be playing at that level and don't feel part of it. Um, and then other people are missing out, which is creating an imbalance in the system and, and strength wise. And I think the, one of the things you really have to look after is the cricket. You know, politics has sort of infiltrated our cricket, which is which is really sad because I think it's been slightly to the detriment. Um, you know, I say that looking in from the outside, being part of the system was really good to me. And, um, you know, I made many friends through, uh, you know, all races, uh, sort of racial barriers and cultures, religions. And, and I really enjoyed playing in that, in that big mix-up of players. And, and I still have lots of good friends from within that. So... You know, that was sort of the positives in the early part of my career. But when I look now, um, you know, my concerns are is that it's not, uh, it's not producing the best cricket team that we can produce and it's not looking after the system as well. And definitely at grassroots level, it's sort of fallen away. Um, the structures aren't as good as they were maybe 10 or 15 years ago. Um, and I worry that in, you know, in the future that our, uh, our national team is definitely going to feel the pinch on that. Yeah, yeah. And then with that, your international career um, sort of dwindled out then and, and then you became a Colpac player in the UK. Was that just you down to lack of opportunities within the South Africa system? Oh, I wouldn't say it was a lack of opportunity. I think, um, you know, I was competing with a number of different players who were sort of uh, similar to myself in the middle order and, and around the top of the order. And I'd moved around a bit. And I just, to be honest, I hit a patch with, uh, getting a couple good balls. Um, as I said earlier, Malinga cleaned me up a few times. Then I ran into Mohamed Irfan, who was bowling the speed of light and swinging it from uh, nine foot seven or whereabouts he bowls from. So I hit a little rough patch and I had a few bad performances. Um, you know, and I was replaced by someone who, like Fafdu perceived, and I was sort of competing, and, and he did really well. So, you know, at that stage, I was looking for extra cricket, basically. And uh, I felt within the system in South Africa that, uh, you know, People were quite happy for me to go out and play in, in the UK, um, you know, instead of sitting at home during the winter and, and uh, just spending our time in the gym. It was yeah. great to go. And it was one of the things I always wanted to do. I always wanted to play county cricket because I think I grew up with a father who loves cricket and talked a lot about the old days of people playing county cricket. And then one of my friends, a guy called Grant McEwen, who was at school with me, his dad, uh, Kenny McEwen, played at uh, Essex for many years and scored gazillions of runs there. So I had a lot of sort of like knowledge on county cricket and I always wanted to go and, and experience it. So to have that opportunity was great. And obviously to 
my mindset at that stage to get out and play county cricket was to play as much cricket as possible. Hopefully, my game improved with the extra quantity yeah. uh, and opportunities. And, you know, at that stage, I was thinking if I did really well, that I'd go back to South Africa and hopefully compete for a national team spot again. Um, but after a couple of years of really doing well, um, that, that ship seemed to have sailed. And, um, you know, the phone never rang. And, and I sort of carried on with what the next step was, which was, uh, which probably would get to next, was moving into the, the sort of T20 circuit. Yeah, and then with the sort of Brexit and ban on sort of Colpac players now, do you think that will actually have a boost on the domestic cricket in South Africa? With, you know, quite a few players are still, well, were still involved, like David Visa, Duane Oliveira, players like that. Are they going to now sort of end up going back? It's going to be interesting to see. I mean, there's obviously a few of us that play on the sort of more T20 circuit around the world. Um, you know, I think at one stage, we basically, as a country, South Africa lost almost its whole A-side and a few guys who were sort of in and around the national team, like Riley Rousseau and Carl Abbott. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I don't really know right now, um, you know, who, who's sort of going to make themselves available again and go back and, um, you know, who's going to take overseas spots and, and try and carry on with the county uh, stuff. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But I I certainly know when a lot of those players left, it definitely left a big dent in the South African system because a lot of those players were either, you know, just off selection or, or close nearby. So, um, you know, we'll see how it plays out, I suppose. Yeah, you've just extended your stay with Glamorgan now as an overseas player, uh, acting as cover to Marnus Labashane, um, as well as doing some coaching with Glamorgan. Is this a look into the future um, to pass on your knowledge and, and, and do some coaching? Oh, I think so. I think after playing uh, this many years, I think it would be unrealistic to think that I'm just going to jump straight out of cricket. Um, you know, and I, I have quite a large passion for working with uh, especially the younger guys from about, you know, 15 to 20 because I feel there's a, there's a large responsibility to the type of information that those players get. Um, you know, if they get the wrong information at that age, it can really be detrimental. Um, and, and being someone that's been through every level I like to feel that, um, you know, still being a nice, humble human being, I can get across the, you know, the right messages to young batters at that age. So I'd love to be able to spend a little bit more time. It's something that I've done, you know, over the last couple of years, maybe not as an official title, but, um, you know, sort of just on the side as an interest. So uh, it would be nice to, to work with the, the Glamorgan Academy and, and their sort of pipeline and, and hopefully have a positive effect. Um, and as far as signing on another two years, I'm absolutely thrilled because uh, Glamorgan's become sort of my cricket home. Yeah. Um, as I said, I don't play in South Africa at all at the moment. And, you know, hopefully I can move our family over and we can spend more time, uh, you know, invested in the system and I can spend more time in the team. So hopefully that deal sort of has come at the right time for me that I can spend longer periods at Glamorgan and, uh, and hopefully uh, contribute a little bit more. Yeah, and then on, on Labashane, he's obviously quite some player. Um, sort of last year was his, his, or the year before was his breakthrough year. Uh, did you see a, a change in, or in the way that he went about his game or is it just something that's just clicked for him? Yeah, I think like he was, uh, he was building up, you know, to where he sort of got anyway. Uh, we'd heard like at Morgan, we'd heard great uh, things about him, uh, you know, out here in Oz and, that he was sort of up and coming as one of the next sort of tip guys to, to be in the system. So we sort of got him at the right time and he came out and I know he really enjoyed our, our sort of dressing room and our environment, but he played superbly well and adapted to the county conditions really quickly. And I think that's a sign of a good player because a lot of guys, from, especially from Australia where the wickets come on well, uh, they can get out to play county cricket and sort of, uh, you know, the first bit can be a real struggle. So, and he came out and dominated and got, got hundreds straight away and just kept them coming. So it was nice for him to be able to sort of be injected straight into that Australian side coming off that sort of run and confidence. Um, and he hasn't looked back. Um, you know, he's definitely got things that he still needs to work on in his game, but don't we all, I mean, from, uh, from every level. Um, but just seeing how he's handled that environment and, um, and that spotlight and, and how he's still maintained being so consistent has, uh, has been really good to see. Yeah, and then a little bit on sort of training and stuff. How does your training differ from the off-season to in-season training? That's an interesting question. Over the last couple of years, I haven't really had much of an off-season. So, um, yeah, for, for about 18 months, I was on the road. And I think uh, international players manage themselves really well because um, they're kind of always ticking away, using a spare day to uh, get back in the gym or carry on working on their conditioning. So it becomes sort of a day-in, day-out sort of thing, which is 
which is, I suppose, a real positive in my opinion. Uh, the domestic cricketer can sometimes get caught into the, you know, the in-season, out-season. And in the winter, they work their bums off in the gym. And then by the time the season comes, they just enjoy playing again. Yeah. Um, so they can go in and out of fitness in a year cycle. Whereas um, I think that's something that I learned from playing international cricket. And then now, you know, playing on the circuits is to make sure that you, you sort of, you could be working up at any day of the week and, and be able to play. So I, I think as I've got older, I've got a lot smarter with my conditioning. Um, and then I, I was fortunate having, you know, eight months at home in the middle of my career, uh, you know, with lockdowns and, and, in this past year, I try to use that time really cleverly. So I got back out and did some real hard running and try to build up the legs again and did some cycling and trail running and things that, um, you know, kept me stimulated, but also have, have pushed my fitness levels and it'll hopefully hold me in good stead in the next couple of years. Yeah. So on that, it, it, you know, you look like you're very passionate on your, your fitness um, on Instagram and Twitter. You're always out hiking, running, uh, doing gym work. How does your sort of gym work look? Is, is it, heavy on gym or is it more outdoor stuff? Well, I think a good balance is uh, important because uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not the biggest of characters. I've often said, I wish I was as big as some of the West Indian guys <laughs> uh, would make it a lot easier. So I, I do work on my strength in terms of um, hit, for hitting power. Um, you know, that is important, but I think as a batter, I know that I'm going to win the game when, you know, I'm on 75 plus. So it's important that conditioning for me is there's a certain element of that outdoor stuff that uh, it does keep me stimulated as well. But it's also those are, you know, hour plus sessions or, or, or at least 35, 40 minutes plus. And that's when you're really into the heart of your innings. So I like to keep things nice and practical. Um, you know, if you have a good, hard, sweaty session, that's always going to keep you in good stead. And hopefully when you deep into your innings, you can make good decisions still and, you know, choose the right shots and have the power to, to do it. So I, yeah, I do. I mean, uh, you would have probably picked up from some social media that I do a few strange things, but I enjoy practical things that I can use. And I try and uh, I've tried to in my conditioning uh, sort of be more functional than anything. So big heavy weights. I mean, there, there is time for it, but I'd rather go lighter and, and uh, you know, sort of drag my sessions out and be a lot more um, sort of versatile in my practical strength. So, yes, I do hit a tractor tire with a, or a bus tire actually. Uh, with a hammer, I like pull-ups, uh, you know, even practical things like push-ups and, and dips and that sort of stuff. Because those things I can do anywhere, anytime, you know, around the world in a hotel room most of the time as well. So, yeah, I like the practical side of things and, and to feel that it's, a, it's all year round in progress. It's not sort of season in and season out. Yeah. Um, you were also due to play in the 100 competition last year. Um, one, it, it's looking like it's going to go ahead in 2021. Does your new co-packing and overseas ruling going to affect that competition now? Or does that make you unavailable? Does it still make you available? Uh, and secondly, um, what were your thoughts on the th format? Obviously, it's sort of a brand new competition uh, on terrestrial TV. It's a little bit different from the ECV. Yeah, firstly, it does affect. I mean, I was obviously uh, signed up to play as a local. Uh, I now move into the overseas bracket. And, um, you know, there's a lot of competition in that bracket because there's only three spots up for grabs. So, um, yeah, I'd hope that, you know, my performances in the last couple of years have showed that there's still some really good value there. And um, especially under the, you know, the English conditions, English and Welsh, should I say. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm hoping that, um, you know, it works out and I get to play in it because it's I think it's um, you know just to have something new and a little bit different um, you know it shouldn't always be frowned upon I think um, cricket especially the shorter formats um, are definitely part of the entertainment business and in the UK uh, you know there's a great following especially of uh, sort of older members um, and traditional cricket people so I can sort of understand the strategy to try and sort of spread the game a little bit more um, we are part of entertainment Entertainment, and I think as a player, you know, we should be ultra positive and not knock that. Um, and then, like with that, so I think I think it's a great initiative. I've heard from the guys who have played it that it's it's actually pretty exciting. Um, you know, there's a, there's a few new rules and that sort of thing, but I think I'm still excited to see how it goes and and how they market it because that's the important part. Um, you know, they have got a sort of not a new target audience, but they're targeting a wider variety of people within the UK, and that can only be a good thing for cricket. Um, you know, cricket's got to keep growing and expanding. Um, and even, I mean, we see things like uh, the T10, which is something that I'll be playing in in a couple of weeks' time again. And 
and they're all part of this entertainment package. So as a player, we have to be on board with that and, and it, keep trying to you know, grab as many new people into the game and trying to grow the game and, and keep it exciting. So I sort of get that in the UK, that's why they've, they've done it um, and, and I can understand it. But within saying that, you know, cricket's in a really healthy place around the world. T20 um, has certainly sort of spread uh, just the excitement around the game in the last couple of years. Um, and I hope... On the back of that, obviously, I play only white ball around the world at the moment. But on the back of that, that we try and keep test cricket sort of more organic. Um, I wouldn't like them to tinker with too many test cricket rules. Um, I'm not even really a fan of the pink ball because <laughs> yeah. it feels like a whole separate format. Most of the games only go three days and some of them, some of it's at night. Um, so, in a way, I think, you know, there's, a, there's a, definitely a variety of cricket product out there at the moment. Um, and the 100 ball sort of fits into that. So it'll be exciting to see how it takes off and hopefully it really does well. Yeah, obviously at the moment you're out in the big bash, like we said, with uh, Hobart Hurricanes. Um, what are your views on their rule changes? Because they seem to have, well, from my point of view, I'm watching it obviously from a, from a distance, but it seems to be quite cool. Uh, you know, the, the sort of change in the power play and then you've got two overs to use later on. Do you think that's affected the game much? And also, you know, how are the rules in, in terms of from a playing point of view? Yeah, I think like, um, so looking at it from a practical point of view, the changes aren't that big um, when you're actually playing the game, but they've created a lot of talking points. Um, and then there are moments in the game now, especially during that middle period, where all of a sudden, like at 10 overs, there's a point up for grabs. So that yeah. creates a bit of thoughts and something to the game. So I, I sort of get that people feel almost that... Um, you know, between the power play overs and almost the, the back end or the death that, um, you know, the game drifts along. So all of a sudden you've got these two new sort of innovations that come in, which one is you can get an extra point, which I think is quite cool. Yeah. Uh, if you win it halfway. So it gives the game a little bit of edge right in the middle. And then there's these, these two overs, which um, from a tactical point of view are quite big. I mean, we, the, the start of the tournament, we talked about not making it into too much and, you know, uh, um, you know, the perfect time to take it and this and that. And it's been uh, sort of in our batting meetings, it's gone up and down about what to do with it all the time. So it's created a bit of interest and a bit of talk. And, and certainly during the game, it can change the game really quickly because you can take it too early and lose a couple of wickets because all of a sudden you've got a whole bunch of people in the ring again. And, you know, you pick one of those out and all of a sudden then you lose a wicket and then someone new batter comes in and, and gets bowled. And so it can change the game really quickly. And then on the, on the flip side of that, you can go and get, I think we got 35 yesterday of two overs which yeah sort of really played us back into the game because we were quite far out of the game at that stage so it's definitely created a little bit of impact in the game i don't know about the x factor um it's been a, that's been the one that i haven't really no one's really worked out exactly you know the best way to use that because if someone's not in your best playing 11 it's hard to add them in but there's been the odd uh, you know the odd um, time that someone's come in and we've we've tried to use it um and i suppose that perfect day will you know when that rule comes in and it'll It'll make a big spiel when someone comes in, gets subbed into bowl and gets three wickets and wins the team the game. So yeah. Yeah. these small innovations, I don't think have affected the overall game massively, but um, have created some interest. So, um, you know, on that side of things, I think it's been great. And then with, with regards to your batting, uh, have you always been sort of quite innovative? Um, obviously, with a few ramps, reverse sweeps and stuff, is that always something that you've done just with the fact you're playing a lot of, a lot of limited overs cricket? Or is that something you've actually had to work quite hard at to get into your game? Um, yeah, I think we had to work quite hard to put into my game. Uh, I'm, uh, like I said, growing up, we played mainly first class, well, we're aiming to play first class cricket and test cricket. So, you know, a lot of these things had to be added along the way. Um, but within saying that, uh, you know, my, my sort of philosophy is, um, it's almost like, uh, adding clubs to your bag if you were playing around a golf. Yeah. Um, so I've just tried to add as many clubs, but I think the, the beauty of it is still to know when to use it. So, you know, I, I like to have as many as I can and work on different shots and, and sort of have a 360 plan in my mind of scoring options. But I still think the, the massive key is when to use it. So you can use a reverse sweep, you know, at the perfect time and, and it can be really effective. And then there's times when you use it and you think, oh, what was I doing? Yeah. I've just played it at the wrong time and got out. So I still think that's the cool part about batting, but I certainly know that I want as many clubs uh, or shots or, you know, areas of the field that I can open up. I want those in my bag. So it's important, especially playing white ball cricket now with the way strike, strike rates have just gone up and up that you have as many options 
Um, and I think that's where batting has really um, sort of been elevated in the last 10 years is that um, there's more and more deliveries that the bowlers are bowling. There's knuckle balls and this, this slow ball and that slow ball. And the batters just seem to have added more and more shots. So it's been really exciting, I think, the way the game's developed. Yeah, and then sort of on a recent um, conversation during the Big Bash, you mentioned a bit of work you've done with Ricky Ponting uh, and Michael Smith as well, a, a batting coach from South Africa. Uh, can you explain some of the changes that, that you made or if, if it's not given too much away? <laughs> no, uh, no, I'm an open book, so it's no, it's no worries at all. Yeah, I think I got, um, I got to the IPL last year and I realised my grip had changed quite a lot. Um, so, so Ricky was asking me about it. Um, I think... He's got a he's got a very technical mind. So uh, when I spoke to him about it, he got straight into it. Like he understood exactly. He started drawing on my grip, um, and basically, I think my hands have got too open. Like I, I think in a modern day player, you need to have quite open backlift in terms of to yeah. access the different sides of the grounds and to create power. Um, and that's where my sort of conversation started. That I felt like I, I gripped the bat way too far around, and on impact, I wasn't getting the power that I was used to um, because my wrist was sort of locked. It wasn't locking up. And so basically when I ended up in lockdown, uh, I didn't bat for about three months and I started to get, started to get a bit uh, shaky and itchy and withdrawal symptoms. And so, um, you know, I, I'd worked a little bit with, with Michael Smith before. Um, and he's a young coach in South Africa that's really going places. Um, and so I just spent an hour a week, which really helped me on a mental side. But I also had this idea of what I wanted to do with my, my hands and my back lift. Um, and it's still a work in progress. Um, I, I feel like I, I haven't quite got it to exactly where I want it. But I think that's one of the joys of batting. You're always tinkering and trying to get it to the perfect place. So um, at the moment, I need, my, I need my back shoulder to kick out a little bit more so that it's, my back lift is not exact. It's sort of behind my head, which still makes me swing around the ball at stages. Right. Um, so if I could get my back lift just to the outside of my head or my eye line, um, you know, I'd access the leg side with a lot straighter batted stages. Um, so a little less flick, which would be nice for me because when you flick it, basically it's either six or out sometimes. Yeah. Um, which as a player, I want to keep improving and growing. And I, I would like to have, you know, many more options in that, that it wasn't just a 50-50 and I was taken on the field every time. Um, so, yeah, it's still a work in progress. Um, I'll, I'll let you know when I've perfected it or maybe you'll see me hit the ball over cow corner instead of backward square leg. <laughs> well, it seems to be working well. I think you're currently, uh, at this moment, eighth in the batting charts in the, in the BBL. So, uh, th things seem to be going the right direction. Yeah, I think I'm feeling in a really good place. Um, you know, it's been a big challenge in the last couple of years to move to number four and five and, and you know, end up, you know, with so few overs left about I, I grew up mainly opening and batting three. So, and still my preferred position, but it seems that in the last few years, uh, as I've developed power, people have valued, you know, that spot in the middle where you, you get to make decisions and you have both sides to your game. You know, you're able to knock it around if you, you know, say three down early um, and sort of build an innings. And then also if you come in late, you can swing. So I'm definitely nagging every coach I play, <laughs> play with to try and get back to three. Um, I still believe that if I faced you know fifty balls in an innings, I'm going to be I'm going to be near a hundred. So yeah. you know and that's that's a max effect you can have in a game, and I don't want to sort of disregard that. So I know there's value in uh, you know batting in the middle order, but I would still like to have a max effect on a game and and hopefully get in early and get big scores, which which I've done in the. So, well, hopefully I'll end up in that direction again at some stage. And then with regards to like preparation for for games. Um, what does your preparation look like? Is it facing a lot of bowlers? Is it machines? Is it a, is a dog thrower? Um, sort of like from a few days out and then also on match day, what is it you do to, to get into your groove, if you like? Um, I do hit a lot of machine. I'd be, I'd be lying if I said I didn't hit a lot of machine balls. Obviously, when that's available. So if I'm at Glamorgan or Archie in Australia where it's available day in, day out, I'll do my I'll sort of technical work on my off days. And um, when I mean technical work, I mean, it'll be sort of hitting power and where my hands are getting to and that type of thing. So I do spend quite a lot of time on that, but I'm also a big believer in uh, trying to plug in what you need to do well. And that's, I suppose, as you become more experienced, is not do the same things over and over. Um, so like uh, before this last game, I went out and faced some dog stick uh, on the day of the game. Um, I just felt like I needed, I needed to have a good swing at a nice white hard ball instead of just doing drills. So, 
I'm definitely big on trying to adapt to what I need at the time uh, and try and, I suppose it's all uh, batters. You're just trying to get yourself to a place where you feel confident that you can perform. Um, so if you have, so sometimes, uh, you know, I do hit a lot of balls. Um, I'd be lying if I said I, I, you know, would take the, on a, on a, on a uh, practical sort of side of things. If, if there's an off day and there's an option to still go to optional practice and hit balls, I'll still go and hit balls. Cause I believe like once I'm up and running and going well, I just want to look after that and keep looking after my confidence. Um, places like, uh, you know, uh, India and Pakistan are a little bit different because you don't get the bowling machine and a, you know, a new smart indoor net where you get to hit for two hours. So, you know, on that side of things, then I'll try and maybe get someone with an arm to do some drills because that's a little bit more consistent and then face a limited amount of bowling as well because some of the nets are real tough and they turn a lot. So it's good to face spin then and, you know, get, get your sweeps, uh, your sweeps and reverse sweeps in and that type of thing. So I think it's just about being adaptable and trying to plug in what you know is going to get you to a good score. And, and um, you know, I often say to younger players, make sure you look after your confidence. So some guys, you know, do your hard work uh, a couple of days before the game. But on game day, just make sure you hit the ball in the middle and feel good. So even if you just have to hit it into a net on the side of the field or the, you know, the advertising board, as long as you're feeling confident when you get to the middle, you know, that's a lot of the battle won. Yeah, and then, and then with that, is there certain game plans or ways you approach uh, batting regardless of sort of the situation? Uh, I think it's AB said, De Villiers said about, you know, he faces first 10 balls, he just tries to get off strike every sort of ball. Uh, just gets himself going that way. Do you do something like that as well? Um, I'd say I, in my mind, I'm always saying I need to get in, and uh, get in is a um, sort of a, a tricky term for me. I don't, I don't like to structure it up because sometimes in uh, in your first few balls, the bowler feels like he's on the attack, and he gives me the best opportunity to hit a boundary and get away. So I'm always looking for that first boundary opportunity, and a lot of guys haven't. Um, sort of don't touch on on it in this way but if you can look at mindset first so my mindset's always to look to score and if I'm looking to score uh, I should be making better decisions um, so I'm not saying first of all I'm looking to bang it over back over his head which sometimes happens but in my mind uh, I want to get busy as soon as I get to the crease because I feel like if you've you know if I'm looking for only 10 singles that means I'm not probably not going to get a boundary I'm only going to get 10 singles um, and then if I hit field it twice or three times next minute I've got seven and then I play and miss it one and I've got six and then you're starting to build the pressure on yourself whereas I'm more the type of player who is looking for that first opportunity to get a boundary and sometimes that can be first ball because the bowler feels like oh I'll bring in the slip uh, I'm going to try and land one and turn it and all of a sudden there's one less fielder somewhere and I'm thinking I'm going to smack it but I think a lot of that's to do with mindset I want to be busy and awake uh, and looking to pounce on anything as soon as I get to the wicket so I don't know if that uh helps your question but that's sort of my method I don't like to structure it up I think it's where I play as well sometimes I come in and I don't have 10 balls to knock it around so um so I think it's a good I mean I definitely in my mind say give yourself a chance to get in because if you have a look at two three four five balls you know that gives you a chance to get in read the situation read the pitch a bit better but within that, I'm always looking for the first boundary uh, because that really gets you away. That gets your confidence going. And then from there, things seem to flow a lot easier. Yeah, and I guess, I guess with that, obviously, strike rate, your strike rate's massively up. If you can get a boundary, sort of first ball, there's sort of less, less pressure, if you like, um, to keep scoring, like you said. Yeah, I think, especially batting in the middle order, your boundary opportunities are, you know, massively important. And I like to feel in my first few balls that, the bowler feels like, not like he's relaxed, but he's, he's on top, which often gives me a boundary option. You know, like I said, like if he brings in a slip uh, and he feels now, oh, he's just going to get it up in the channel and try and nick me off. I'm thinking I'm going to pump that cover drive as hard as possible. <laughs> so I'm always looking for that opportunity. And whether that's first ball, second ball or 10th ball, I'm going to be, I want to be awake and ready for it. And, that, and that's on a mental side that I'm nice and sharp and ready to go. So, you know, from the moment I stand up or, or run out over the rope, I want to be as sharp as possible and give myself the best chance to do well. Um, so I think that's where a lot of batters, they structure it up in a way that uh, they just want to give themselves the best chance to do well, um, which is what we're all striving for. Because I find like um, if I structured it up too much and then ended up missing out on balls early on, 
Um, then you're playing catch up and you're looking for yeah. a shot that maybe wasn't there. Whereas if I'm just awake for it and it comes and I nail it, then I'm away. And, and like you say, then it flows from there. You're listening to Under the Covers, Guernsey's very own cricket podcast. We'll be back after the short break. Bowled him! Beautiful bit of bowling from William Peatfield. The stump comes crashing out the ground, and that's a big wicket here in Guernsey versus Denmark at the KG5. That's the first wicket. Letitia is the one who strikes. He gives it a big celebration. He writes it up in a book. He notes it down and sends them off. You can add Manpreet Singh to that list. That's the breakthrough Letitia needed. That's the breakthrough Guernsey needed. And that's the breakthrough that Mark Ladder to my left wants a big smile on his face. And a wonderful shot there. Cover drive for four. Stokes already finding the boundary twice in this game. Yeah, and with regards to sort of kit, uh, certain players are, are quite uh, anal on kit and they like their bats in a particular way. Are you the same? Have you got any sort of you, you look for in a bat? Is it a certain weight? Is it a certain grain, etc.? Uh, I've been told I'm not a great judge of bats. So <laughs> this is by many teammates. Uh, I think the only thing that I do that I am quite sort of uh, particular about would be the sort of how wide my grip is. So my, I'm always trying to get my grip as, as tight as possible. And when I say tight, um, you know, if a certain size of hands and how it fits in your hand, I think is very important in terms of your impact point. And my impact point is, like I said, I'm trying to get as much power out of the shot. So I don't like it when the bat moves around in my hands. That, free, that sort of freaks me out, to be honest. So, if I feel like that, I'll change the grip shape the, uh, and the diameter until I find the right one. But in terms of the actual bat, I'm not as particular as some people who weigh each bat and make sure it feels perfect. Um, I don't know. It's, it's difficult to explain. I'll just pick it up, and if it feels okay and it's got enough wood on it, it you know, um, it should be fine. I think when I was a, when I was a kid, my dad bought me a bat, and at one stage, I came home and kept moaning about getting out LBW. Uh, and he quietly got, got up from the kitchen table um, and walked down to the bedroom. I didn't know what he was doing. And he came back with my bat and he just said, I bought you a bat, so you better use it. And it was a great example for me. I still feel like that. As long as I've got a bat in my hand, there's no excuses. You know, you've got to either hit the ball and make the most of it. Or, um, you know, if it doesn't feel great, I, I won't even use it. I'll just give it away and, and start with a new one. So it's yeah. definitely a feel thing for me. Um, but once it's in my hand, uh, it's up to me to score runs. It's not got anything to do with a bat. <laughs> And then with regards to any superstitions, do you do anything that, you know, you have to do? So certain players, I think Neil McKenzie used to tap the roof of the change room, didn't he? Yeah, I think that story came about he actually had to strap his bat on the change yeah. room because he had lots of little intricacies. I mean, playing against him, he used to walk around the stumps one way and always tap his bat and then tap both sidelines. He always had, every season he had sort of a new one. And I think that culminated in uh, someone played a trick on him and taped his bat to the ceiling of the changing room. Um, and he got 100 that game. So then basically after every game, they'd strap his bat back on the ceiling. So, no, I, I don't have many. I'm quite simple. Um, I, do, I do like to sit down when I pad up. And uh, a lot of people have questioned me because, uh, you know, what's that to do with? But growing up, I was an opening batsman. And uh, everyone knows this feeling as an opening batsman when you've bowled first and the bowler's job is now done. They're back in the changing room and they're making an absolute racket. They don't have any respect for the batters. They're running around, they're throwing boots, they're doing whatever they do. And now you've got to go in like five, six minutes and face up the new ball. So I used to sit down on the floor because that sort of got me out of the noise level and just got me a few minutes to just think to myself. Yeah. And that's kind of just stuck with me. So uh, it keeps me grounded. It's sort of once I've sit down on the ground, now it's time to switch on again um, and get ready to go bat. So I, I still do it. And I do get a few strange looks uh, in certain <laughs> change rooms around the world, but it's probably my only one. Other than that, I'm pretty simple, yeah. And then before sort of each tournament, like the big bashing, for example, um, do you set goals and sort of objectives before you go or is it very much a, a plan of game by game sort of plan? No, I, I, yeah, I've been asked about goals before. Um, I'm not great at setting goals because um, I think if I aim just for that, uh, you either feel when you don't get there or you feel like you didn't aim high enough. So, in my mind, it's about making sure that I give myself the best chance to do well. I think that's sort of my main focus. Um, and it has been for a long time at every level. So 
you know, from, you know, night before or preparation wise, uh, kit wise, bat wise, uh, you know, um, are my gloves dry? Um, you know, after I had a sweaty innings two days ago, that type of thing, as long as I give myself the best chance to do well, um, you know, good night's rest, then I, then I feel that uh, each innings is going to play out on its own and I'm going to be able to adapt and change and, and play the best innings I can. So I certainly, uh, you know, would love to be, uh, one of my goals would love to come to one of these tournaments and be the top run getter for the tournament. But, I, you know, this one's probably not the one because uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not here till the end. Uh, unfortunately and then you know bat batting in the middle order has been a bit tricky because you play so many different roles you don't always get that opportunity but I certainly know if I get to uh, more than halfway through a tournament and I'm near the top end of the run scoring list I want to be the top run scorer yeah um, so that might be my only goal at the moment <laughs> other than that but I don't have many structured goals no and then how do you sort of switch off from from cricket obviously you're traveling around a lot um the, the sort of big bash is fairly full on. You, you're sort of a game almost every other day. How, how do you sort of get away and relax? And is there anything that, you know, you can just get your mind off cricket? Yeah, it is an, it is an important part of the game. And it, 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 it sort of, you can get really caught up in the, in the cricket bubble, uh, so to speak. Um, so I think it is important to have other activities away from the game. I certainly know if it's a day off, I like to get as far away from the game as possible. Uh, anything in the outdoors, to be honest. Um, a lot of the places around the world I go fishing, if I can. Right. Um, I might be going fishing tomorrow morning. One of the young players here, Mac Wright, has uh, agreed to take me out. So I must actually get on to him after this chat. Um, so fishing would be one. And then also having a family um, who do travel with me to a lot of places in the world. I think as soon as I get back and they're around, you know, the kids, they'll switch you off from cricket straight away. They're very demanding. And uh, <laughs> it's good to take them swimming and get out and about and, um, you know, enjoy what you know, the life that cricket still has brought us. So I definitely feel for, for players, it takes time to get used to that. But I, I think having other interests away from the game is really good for you. Something to, you know, drag your mind away because you can get really caught up in it. And then if you're having a, a bad run, um, you know, that can compound things because you spend a lot of time thinking about the game. And, uh, you know, life's more, cricket's just, a, I won't say it's just a job, but it is more than that for me. It is a life, but there is cert certainly a, uh, a sort of a merit to to be able to get your mind off the game so that when you do come back, you're nice and fresh and ready to go. Um, so I often encourage young guys, get out and about, go do your hobbies, uh, you know, get out with your mates to uh, get away, get some fresh air. Um, so when you come back, it's a lot easier to uh, think straight. Yeah, and then we touched on sort of social media earlier um, and how actually you're fairly active on social media. Um, when you sort of first started your career, obviously that wouldn't have been... Uh, the case, you know, Instagram, Facebook and stuff has come in sort of more recently. Um, how did, what sort of advice have you got for aspiring players? Because you hear a lot of coaches saying, stay off it, don't get involved with social media. Some say, yeah, get involved, do it. It's a nice way to sort of switch off again. Um, but what would your advice be? Yeah, my advice would be if it's going to be detrimental to you, then maybe you should stay away from it. Um, and if it's going to cause you more harm or... You know, people put their foot in it these days quite a lot as well with comments they make and stuff. And it seems to just add to the extra pressures and stresses. So, I mean, you're certainly seen from looking at my social media. It's a positive outlet for me. Um, you know, it's something that I've, I've sort of maybe grown a little bit more accustomed to in the last couple of years. Um, but certainly for me, I'm not going to be commenting on other people's stuff. Um, it's definitely, it's all about positivity. And it's a great marketing tool as well. Um, you know, if you're, if you're getting the right content out there, um, you know, that, uh, it sort of promotes your brand in the right, in the right way. So yeah. for me, it's a, it's a big positive outlet. I'm not someone who wants to be involved in controversy. I think cricket's a hard enough game already than, uh, you know, to, to really be putting your foot in and commenting on things you shouldn't and getting yourself in a bit of trouble and heat. Um, so I try to take a simple approach to it, that it's a, it's a positive outlet, um, you know, and, and try and use it in that way. Um, but certainly it can affect people in a major way. If you read all the comments that come in, uh, it's very easy to sit on the couch yeah. um, and comment after watching on your 65 inch high definition TV <laughs> in slow motion, how easy it was to hit that ball and pick the spinner and all that. And commentators don't really always do us uh, a lot of, you know, it's still a tough sport and you don't want to create extra pressures. I don't think um, it's still really tough at the top and the amount of scrutiny you can get. 
So I like to ignore all negative comments, take all positive, um, and just keep moving forward, I suppose. Yeah, and then and with the, like, the mental side of the game, um, obviously you touched on that, it's a really tough sport. Quite a lot of it is, is mental. Um, how do you sort of, or how have you dealt with failure and sort of a slump in form? Was it a case of hitting more balls or was it a case of, you know, trying just to switch off from that and you know that your process will come good? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, certainly when you're younger, you you sort of ride that emotional roller coaster a lot more. Um, and, and I think it is like anything, it's a bit of a learned trait. Um, so you, you get better and better at dealing with it. I think when someone explained to me that, you know, the best, maybe when I was in my early 20s, that the best batters in the world are only going to score one in five innings or whatever. That's sort of as on a practical side made sense to me that if I was down every time I got out, um, the pressure would mount quite quickly. And if the best players in the world are only scoring one every four or five times, you know, I'm nowhere near that. So <laughs> make sure that I give myself, I think somewhere along the line, someone said to me, make sure you give yourself a good chance. Like that's it. And if you're in a negative state, um, you know, it's, 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 it's not going to help things. It's not going to make you play better. It's not going to make you think clear. It's not going to make you, you know, choose the right shot more often. So Definitely having a positive outlook is, uh, is easier for some people than others, but it is essential uh, in a sport where you are going to fail often. Um, that's always give bowlers trouble. I'm like, you guys have got unlimited chances to get me out. So, and you still give me a spray on the way off as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so like I said, I think it's definitely a learned trait, but you have to take the positives. Um, I often talk to uh, people and say that... Um, you know, if, if you build yourself a nice strong base uh, in terms of your mental game, so if you know you've done the work, you've hit the balls, you've prepared well, and then you don't do well, you don't feel as bad. But if you let yourself down and you haven't done all the work um, and you haven't, yeah. you know, sort of like put yourself in a good state, uh, hit, you know, knowing that you can play all those shots and then you get out doing it, you don't feel as good and your confidence drops off quicker. So certainly the players who um, are more consistent are more consistent on a mental side. They don't ride the, the emotional highs and lows. And like, I mean, someone like a Kane Williamson watching him again today, just churning out another double ton. <laughs> if you see him on an, on a day uh, in the, in the dressing room, you don't know if he's got a, if he's got a double ton or, <laughs> or if he's got a duck. He, yeah. He's kind of very level. And it seems like a lot of the players um, who are very consistent seem to be like that. Even if it's not, an external thing, it might be an internal thing. So Virat Kohli, I mean, he's quite a feisty, fiery character, but he must be very consistent in terms of his belief in his game um, and his mental state because to be as consistent as he is, um, it just must be there, to be honest. So, yeah, that, I, I think in a nutshell, that's that's basically it. Um, but it is definitely something you learn. It's not... It's a, it's a I mean, it's an advanced uh, emotional skill, basically. Yeah. So I don't think... You can just have it from a young age. It's something you learn. And some of the good players just pick it up a lot earlier and just go with it. Yeah, and then is there a technique that you use to sort of switch off between balls? Because, you know, quite a few players have spoken about how uh, when they first got into uh, competitive cricket or international cricket, they sort of got very drained very quickly because they didn't ever switch off. They'd hit a shot, almost be done down the non-striker's end, thinking about the next ball or thinking about the last ball. Is there something that you do just in order to switch off? Or, is it, or are you always on? Um, it's an interesting one. I, I don't. I don't think I'm always. I don't think I turn off really. I might not just be at. I think there's different levels of turning on. Um, for me, I want to be part of the game. So if I'm going to bat for a whole day, I probably will be tired after the day. But I'm part of this game. Um, I want to be picking up and uh, checking myself in between balls. Um, I definitely know when uh, when I'm nervous and that type of thing. I like to walk down the wicket uh, and tap the you know the little divots and that sort of thing because it. It sort of keeps me busy in between balls. So that's definitely one I use often, you know, just go a bit of gardening and make sure I tap around and I move around. And that's more just to keep me occupied so that I probably don't think too much. But I do like to think about the game while I'm out there. I don't like to switch off completely because the game's constantly giving you these, like, uh, these pieces of information. The bowler's giving you stuff. The pitcher's giving you stuff. So I think it's about finding sort of a a level ground between switching on and off. But I, I I certainly don't switch completely off ever. Um, you know, I'm, I'm part of this game that's going to go for the next couple of hours. And, I, you know, that's what I've prepared for. You know, I want to be part of it and picking up on as many cues as possible. I think some people, and I definitely know when I was younger, I, 
at stages I probably switched on too much. Like I put too much on everything and then you miss out on cues as well. So there's, there's definitely sort of a balance to it and making sure that you, you switched on and you're part of this game, but in a calm way that you can sort of read what's going on as well. Um, but gardening's definitely, if you see me gardening, you know, I'm nervous. So <laughs> I've told my wife that she says, you always guide me. I say, well, I'm always nervous. So. <laughs> what's, what's the best bit of advice that you've ever been given? And what would be, if you could only give out one bit of advice to a young player, what would it be? Um, yeah, it's difficult to just give one piece of advice, but I definitely say enjoy what you do. Um, if you're not enjoying it, it's going to be really hard. Um, and then the second part of it would be that you have to show resilience at stages. You know, you've got to find a way because uh, otherwise there's no point. So if you can add, if you can add those two together, so enjoy what you do and be resilient and find a way um you'll find a way to enjoy it you'll find a way to succeed um you know i think cricket's a pretty much a game for everyone um i know my dad is 67 now still enjoys the game uh and still plays so you know i i think there's more to it than you know just one bit of advice um but if i had to keep it really simple that would be um probably life advice as well it wouldn't just be for cricket but <laughs> Uh, you know, if you can enjoy things and, and invest yourselves in them and also show some resilience because it's not always just going to be gravy. So um, I think if you combine, combine the two together, that would be my piece of advice. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. Um, like you said, it's, it, it does just uh, sort of, it's appropriate to not only cricket, to, to outside life as well. Um, on that note, a lot of players have got separate businesses or interests outside of, of cricket that they invest in. Is that something that you've got into? A lot of players seem to get into wine. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not into wine. <laughs> uh, maybe the odd, uh, the odd Merlot in the middle of winter is quite nice, but other than that, not really. Um, I think um, at the moment I'm, I'm in a strange space in that I, I'm trying to move out of South Africa. Um, so it's been quite difficult to sort of end up in that sort of environment and looking for something after cricket because I don't really see where that's going to be yet. So, um, no, I, over the years, I do have a herd of cattle, which are Black Angus. Um, I started that, myself and my wife started it as uh, we, we, private schooling in, uh, in, well, in most countries is quite expensive. But we looked at it in South Africa and thought we would like our kids to go to private schooling. So we could start a business to start you know, looking after that and building towards the future, um, that would be good. So there are uh, about 60-odd uh, Black Angus running around in South Africa. Uh, um, you know, for a time, I spent a lot of time uh, just thinking about that side of things and the, and the business that it could become. Um, but I might leave that to my dad and he could enjoy them in his <laughs> old age. Um, and other than that, I mean, as a cricketer, we... You know, we bought a few properties, uh, especially when I was playing international cricket, where chunks of money were coming in quite freely, um, just as rental properties because they were a practical business and they were sort of easy to look after. Um, so, yeah, hopefully, I think, you know, in the next few years, I'd, I'd like to maybe settle uh, in and around Cardiff. Um, and I don't know if I'm going to have to get 70-odd Black Angus in and around <laughs> Cardiff, but... Uh, you know, hopefully maybe a couple of rental properties and, and start sort of a similar uh, process that we had going in South Africa um, out there. Yeah, and then with that, the future, um, how many more years do you think you're going to be able to play for? Obviously, you seem to be in peak physical condition still, um, still performing very well. Um, and then, you know, is it is it the first step into coaching sort of thing like we said before? Um, how long can I play for? It's an interesting question because... Um, physically, I think I could play, uh, you know, at least another five years, and especially with the shorter formats these days and increased sort of knowledge on training and looking after yourself. Um, so I think that won't be my, my issue. I think, uh, you know, the, the taxes around, uh, you know, on, on the mental side from traveling and being away from family. And, yeah. you know, this year I spent Christmas in my hotel room in, in Brisbane where the family were at home around the tree. So, you know, missing birthdays, first days of school, that type of thing. Um, you know, that's probably the more the threat to my career than, you know, the physical side right now. Um, so yeah, I, I, I hope that I could stretch it out. I think a move to the UK permanently and being able to be part of that system and play in and out uh, might, you know, stretch my career a bit longer. Um, 
but but other than that, I think the the coaching side will um, sort of develop as I start feeling that you know my playing career will come to the end. And you know, I certainly know uh, I've got a book that I've started writing down notes on coaching and that type of thing. So it is in the back of my mind that you know there's there's less playing time in front of me than there than it was behind. So. I know I'm moving in a certain direction and, uh, you know, but right now I'm still quite committed to play and, and um, like yourself, I feel like I'm hitting the ball well and in a good spot. You know, I want to keep enjoying that for what it is because once that stops, it stops. So, um, you know, hopefully I've got a good couple of years left and then, and then move into some coaching and, 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 uh, and see what, how that sort of side of things unfolds. Yeah, and just to finish, a couple of uh, quick questions related to sort of your career. Um, who's the quickest bowler you've ever faced? I faced two balls from Sean Tate at one stage under lights, which felt like the quickest. I don't know if there were on uh, on the speedometer. I know there were over 150 clicks, but uh, certainly in the twilight zone with a new white ball, they, felt, they well, it was just about, I didn't really even see it. I just remember it coming past me. So uh, certainly those two balls from him, um, unfortunately got off strike and never faced him again, which I was very grateful about. And then who's the, who's the toughest bowler? It might not necessarily be the, the quickest, obviously. Ah, uh, Malinga. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, at one stage when I when I did play against him, his stat against left-handers with a new ball was he got them out one every nine balls, uh, which wasn't very encouraging for me in the in the, in the sort of batting meeting. Uh, but I had a run-in with him, and he was on hot on a hot streak, and and I sort of wasn't. And I think out of about five games, I faced maybe fifteen balls, and I think he got me out five times. So <laughs> so that was pretty much the end of my ODI career. Um, but what an incredible performer over the years and just something so different and so unique that it, uh, it really was uh, most challenging. And then your favourite ground in the world? Oh, I, I still think St. George's Park in Port Elizabeth. Um, you know, that sort of fairy tale where you, uh, you grew up watching at a ground and, and I used to go in often with my dad and watch uh, some day-night cricket early on. Um, and to end up playing there and, and sort of fulfilling that dream was still really special. Uh, unbelievable crowd there with, uh, you know, the band and, and just the yeah. atmosphere. And, you know, growing up wanting to always play there and ending up doing it was, was really cool. Uh, Favourite memory in cricket? It can be sort of top two or three if, if one is too hard to sort of pinpoint. It's uh, quite a difficult one. I think one of them has to be... Um, you know, getting a getting a ton on ODI debut. Um, at that stage, I was the first South African to do it and the sixth in the world. And it, it definitely was a moment I sort of stumbled into. But uh, it felt at that stage that sort of uh, all my dreams from childhood to then had sort of just popped up in one moment and it was incredible. So that's definitely one of them. And another one probably was, um, you know, winning my first trophy um, at the Warriors. Um, I had sort of a breakthrough season and, and felt really like I'd been part of winning that trophy, although I didn't get many runs in the final, um, sort of the lead up to that and just being part of something that, um, you know, for the first time and, and winning a big trophy. So and then probably the last one, winning, a, winning the Big Bash with the Adelaide Strikers my first season out. It took, it took three years to get to a Big Bash. I kept looking for a deal and I, it sort of never came up. So once I did get out, yeah, and it, and it went pretty well and we won the trophy, it was definitely a very memorable moment. Yeah. Yeah, and then your favourite coach? Favourite coach? That's a difficult one. Uh, I think my junior coach uh, at under 18 level, a guy called Chris Esau. Um, he's not someone that most people would have ever heard of, but um, you know, as a as a young player, to have such a positive role model around me and uh, you know, give me that sort of confidence really helped me in terms of turning uh, turning me into a sort of professional player. So. He's still someone I keep in good contact with and, uh, you know, he's a great mentor to young people in South Africa um, and certainly had a really big positive impact on my life. And then your best best mate in cricket? Best mate in cricket? Oh, probably John John Smart. Um, you know, we, I've got lots of friends in cricket and I'm, I'm very fortunate in that way. The game has given me a lot. Um, I've always enjoyed being part of a team sport, even from schoolboy days. Um, but someone that I've just sort of uh, felt emotionally connected to through his career as well as my own. And sort of we were, I was a little, I'm a little older than him, but uh, we sort of started similar times uh, playing first class cricket and just seeing, you know, how well he's, uh, how well he's done. And 
I still, I, I get nervous when I watch him bat on TV and stuff like that. So I feel really connected to his game and, and he's helped me a lot with my own game as well over the years. So uh, definitely someone I don't want to play golf against, but um, <laughs> our cricket journey has been great together. And then finally, the best player you've either played with or against? Uh, for me, it'd probably have to be A.B. de Villiers. And I know it sounds like a, a cliche, but um, he can just do things that, most of us sort of can't and, and dream about doing. Yeah. And, and you sort of know that when, you, when you're in his presence and like some of the things you see as a teammate. Um, I don't like playing against him these days because I know what he can do. Um, <laughs> but when he's on song, it doesn't really make a difference what the bowler bowls. And I think that's quite incredible. The guy can bowl pretty much any, even the best bowlers in the world can bowl whatever they want. And he's, he's got the answer. And I think that's quite special. That's sort of a once-in-a-generation once in type cricketer. Yeah, yeah. No, it's been really great to chat and, you know, sort of pick your brains within cricket. Um, and thank very much for coming on. No, absolute pleasure. Thanks. Uh, some really insightful questions. You made me think quite deeply, which was great. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks so much. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Guernsey Cricket Podcast. Remember to hit the subscribe button and keep listening. Shoot me.